Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Acts chapter 27. Amen. We're going to read a little bit about uh, Apostle Paul, who, um, for those of you who don't know Apostle Paul, he was on, he was a a non-believer. In fact, he was such a non-believer, he hated Christians. He was tasked by the Pharisees and Sadducees in Jerusalem to actually persecute Christians in the early church, to imprison them for believing in the name of Jesus. He was on his way to a city called Damascus to imprison Christians and to persecute them, beat them, even murder them. He was on his way to do terrible things to these Christians. And on his way, on the road to Damascus, the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus himself came, knocked Paul off of his horse. At that point, his name was Saul, knocked him off off of his horse and God, Jesus came to Saul and spoke to him and Saul had this conversion moment, the same Jesus that he was persecuting and putting people to prison for. He came to know Jesus on the road to Damascus and got saved and was converted to Christianity and became known as an apostle or a leader among that early church and known as Apostle Paul. If you read your Bible from Matthew to Revelation, that's called your New Testament, Paul wrote two thirds, 67% of that New Testament. What a powerful story of the life of Paul. And much of the ministry of Paul is recorded in the Acts of the Apostles or the book of Acts where we're at today. We're at the very end of the book of Acts. Paul at this point has done missionary journeys, written letters to the new church, has been a source of foundational truth for this new thriving church. He had seen many miracles done. He had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten. The things that he did to Christians, he experienced so much more as an apostle. And at this point, he is imprisoned, right? And the Lord tells him when he's in prison, you will go to Caesar, who was the Caesar over Rome. Rome ruled the world at this time. And Paul was told that he would go to Caesar. He was arrested. He went to Herod, King Agrippa, pled his story. He appealed to Caesar. And now Paul is getting ready to get on a boat and he's about to travel from Israel to Italy, to Rome, so he can speak and plead his case before Caesar. Ultimately, a few years later, Paul ends up becoming beheaded while in Rome and becomes a martyr for the faith. But this is after Paul received a mission from the Lord, one final missionary journey for Paul. I want you to go to preach this gospel to Caesar. I want you to preach the gospel to the most powerful man on the world. So Paul was under a mission, and on his way there, he experienced something, and we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 27, verse number 13. Are you ready? Yeah. Amen. Here we go. So they're, 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 in this, 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 uh, they're in this boat, right? They're sailing, and when the south wind, verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire of putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. So they had desirable weather. They looked out, the sun was shining, the, sail, the wind was blowing gently in the right direction. They convinced themselves, now is the time to go. But not long after, verse 14, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurachlodon, the ship, fearing lest they should run aground in citrus sands. They struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly driven, uh, tempestuously tossed the next day, uh, sorry, I lost my spot. The next day, they lightened the ship. 
And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. So here you have Paul under the direction of the Holy Spirit to get in front of Caesar, one last missionary journey, preach the gospel to the most powerful man on the world. And when he was on his way there as a prisoner, a bondservant, on his way there, he experienced a storm. And that's what I want to preach to you tonight. The title of this message is Eurachlodon. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, God, gathered together with brothers and sisters of like precious faith. God, I recognize, Lord, my weaknesses. Lord, I recognize my failures. I recognize where I come short. But God, I also recognize that unless the Holy Spirit comes and helps me through this message, God, these young people won't receive anything without the anointing of the Lord. So God, I humbly come to you and I ask for the anointing of the Most High God to speak through me, God, and to me, God. Anoint me that I might speak not with enticing words of men's wisdom, God, but with demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost, God. I pray for every young man and young woman under the sound of my voice, God, recognizing there's much distracting them. And Lord, I ask right now you anoint their ears, Lord, that they may hear the word of God. Let the word, God, not go to their heart, not to go to their heads, but God, let it find its way to their hearts and where there's hardness of heart. Holy Spirit, I ask before my words get there, you break up that hard ground so that the seed of your word could be planted so that fruit will come from it. In the mighty name of Jesus, say amen. 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 You can be seated. All right, one more time. Look to your neighbor. Get some practice. Say, Eurachlodon. Eurachlodon. So life is a series of choices and consequences. That's true. Life is a series of choices and consequences. You and I will make choices throughout our lives, and our entire lives are going to be shaped and framed around the consequences for the choices that you and I make, right? There's opportunities every day as young people to make certain types of choices, and those choices lead to consequences, and I see it all the time. Young people and, and even older believers, they'll come to me complaining about the trouble they're going through, complaining about the trial they're experiencing, and they're very quick and easy to point to the devil and say, look what the devil's doing to me, but they pay no attention attention to the choices that they've made and the consequences as a result of those choices. Not every evil thing you go through is because the devil hates you. Not every evil thing you go through is because God's mad at you or he's trying to correct you. Sometimes we go through stuff and circumstances and situations as a result of our own goofy choices. We do things and we make things and we, and we say things and we talk about things that we ought not do and say and think and we wind up in a predicament in a situation where we have to pay the consequences consequences for our choice, and our lives will end up exactly where our choices have led you to. If you end up at the end of your life and you have find yourself not serving God, that is like going to my grandma's house and leaving hungry. Come on, it just doesn't happen. If you are hungry, you know grandma's got a spread. She's got some sort of cake. She's got some sort of goods. She's got something that she can make to feed you and to provide for you. And if you leave her house hungry, that is no one's fault but your own. If you get to the end of your life and you are not satisfied with where you are with the Lord, that's because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If 
if you and I make a choice that as believers of God, we're gonna be hungry and thirsty for the things of God, that we're gonna have an appetite for the word of God and get together with our friends and do Bible studies and have prayer meetings and we're gonna witness and we're gonna evangelize and we're gonna have a time with the Lord. Come on, if you make an active choice in your life to develop an appetite for the things of God, the Bible says not only will you be blessed, but you will be filled according to that appetite. So if you find yourself not having enough of God in your life, not feeling like you have the relationship with the Lord that you want, my friend, I would ask you to evaluate your appetite. Evaluate what it is that you've developed a hunger for. Evaluate what it is that you've developed an appetite for. Because if the first thing you want to do in the morning is run to Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, other social media, my friend, it may be because you've developed an appetite. And I'm not saying those things are evil. I'm saying those things can be used for evil, but they could also be used for good. But if you run to check your friends list and you run to check how many likes you've got and you don't think a second chance, you don't take a second moment to think about uttering a a prayer to the Lord about waking you up in the morning and setting you on your way. Come on, if you're so quick to talk to your friends and so quick to talk to everybody else, but you won't utter a prayer to God, I'm gonna ask you, what is it that you're developing appetites for because you will be filled according to your appetite. So if you find in your life you don't have what you want, have you made the choice to develop an appetite for the things of God? But as a result of those choices, we end up in our life. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that the Bible says that goodness and mercy has followed me all the days my life because I know for one I've made some choices in my life that had I reaped the consequences for those choices I most certainly would not be holding a microphone in front of you tonight preaching the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so I'm going to say yes sometimes we make choices and we make bad choices and we've got to experience the consequences for those choices but most of the time and I thank the Lord for it because his goodness and mercy is following me all the days of my life he's keeping me out of trouble that when the enemy would put a snare before me, when the enemy would try to abrupt, uh, abort the plan and the purpose of God in my life, that God would send his goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of our life. But many of these choices we make in our lives actually go unnoticed because they cause little disruption to our life, right? You choose to not brush your teeth tomorrow morning. It's only going to affect your game with the ladies, young man. That's it, right? If you choose to not brush your teeth or, or comb your hair, it's all, it doesn't really affect anybody but you, right? These are, these are choices that doesn't have much of an impact, so to speak, on your life. But there are other choices that have significant disruption to your life, that have significant impact to a person's life, both for the good or for the bad. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse Uh, chapter 6, verses 7 or 8, that be not mocked or don't be fooled for whatsoever a man sows, whatever choices he makes, that also shall he reap. For if he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the spirit, he will of the spirit reap life everlasting. So we we are a byproduct of the choices we make. Laying just a little bit foundation here. Don't worry, I'm coming for you. One of these choices is when you and I make the decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. There is no greater influential decision. I look at these young ladies. I don't know your personality, so I don't want to, you know, all right, it's too late, I already did. I'm calling y'all. <laughs> Sorry. But these, these, these precious young girls up here, they gave their life to the Lord last week. Come on, that is incredible. That is something to give the, light, the Lord praise for. 
They are now fellowshipping with people of like precious faith. That is a choice that they have made, not like brushing their teeth, not like getting in the car, not like going to work. Those choices are small choices, but the eternal choice that they made last week to make sure that they're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and walk with Jesus, this is a choice that is going to change their life. In fact, if you've made a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that decision, in fact, should disrupt your life. Because the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. If you're claiming to call yourself a child of God and you've been saved for any period of time and you take an examination of your life and the old things are still there and nothing has become new, friend, I'm going to ask you to evaluate your salvation experience. That doesn't mean you need to be perfect. That doesn't mean you need to be flawless, but you need to be in a process of sanctification and becoming more like Jesus. After all, you are calling yourself a Christian, a little Christian, a little version of Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk the way I used to walk because what this world says is normal. Just go ahead and call me crazy because normal would tell me that after 15 years of marriage with my wife, I should hate her and she should hate me and we shouldn't be happily married. But thanks be to God who gave me the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. I love mama and mama still loves me and we're on the path of victory. Why? Because we've chosen to give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to be a statistic of 60% divorce rate. I can live a life that's different. Why? Because the grace and mercy of God tells me I should be a generational alcoholic. I should be a generational womanizer. I should be a generational drug addict. I should have problems with pornography and addiction. If you knew half of what I went through as a young man, there's absolutely no way I should have the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Bible says be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know your labor in God is not in vain. But thanks be to God. I wish I had an organ right now. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and what the devil wanted to do, he couldn't do because when he tried to sneak up behind me, goodness and mercy said, no, 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 you won't have that marriage. You won't have that daughter. You won't have that career. It's protected and under the umbrella of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I made a choice that I wasn't gonna live the way I used to live, act the way I used to act, talk the way I used to talk, but I was gonna give my life over and yielded to completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor Tad, why you got to get so excited? Because I was on my way to a devil's hell. (laughs) I was on my way to eternal damnation and certain destruction, but my God gave me the victory that one day, and I hope it's soon and very soon, I'll be minding my own business, driving down the road, maybe on my tractor, and suddenly that eastern sky is going to split. Amen. The dead in Christ will rise first. We which remain will be caught up, the Bible said, to meet him in the air. That tractor is going to have to have autopilot because I won't be in the seat anymore. I'm going to go meet my Savior in the air and wave this world goodbye. If you're saved, it should mess your life up. It should disrupt you. It should change you. In fact, every way I preach this so much, I should give this mic to one of you young people and let you preach it. Everywhere Jesus went in the Bible, you read it through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Everywhere Jesus went, there was change. 
Come on, in the wake of Jesus, anybody ever been on Lake Cumberland or out there on a boat somewhere? You look back there and you see the wake, come on, where the boat had been. When you look at the wake of Jesus, when you look at where Jesus has been, you see lives changed, you see bodies healed, you see the captive set free, you see a broke, busted, and disgusted 14-year-old boy at the age of 14 in 1998. I was a miserable wretch, man. I was in bitterness. I hated everybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I had been through sexual, mental, physical abuse. I had been through torment by my stepfathers. I had been molested. I had been through everything. I hated my life. But on that Thursday night, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was, it was April 2nd. I visited the bloodstained banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day past turning 14 years old, I prayed the prayer. I invited him into my heart and my life's been forever changed. Has it been perfect? No. Has it been problem free? Absolutely not. But it's been hand in hand with the most best friend as Caleb preached last week that I've ever had. Amen. The choice of serving Jesus should disrupt your life. I'm almost through my introduction. Give me a minute. <laughs> the presence of Jesus in your life will lead to change. It will. It will. There is absolutely nothing that Jesus interacts with that he doesn't change to be more like him. In fact, he demands it. He demands it. We've done a disservice to you young people in Christianity. We use flashy statements and phrases like, come to Jesus as you are, and he will accept you as you are, and you don't need to change. And, and a half-truth, come on, somebody, is a whole lie. So let me go ahead and tell you the whole truth so you know it, because when you know the truth, you'll be made free. Absolutely, Jesus will come to you just like you are. Absolutely, you can come to Jesus just as you are with your trouble, with your trial, with your sin, with your filthiness, with all your mess-ups, with all your mistakes. He will accept you just as you are. But the difference, and here's where we get it wrong, is he will not accept you staying where you are and staying as you are. Jesus will go to the gutter for but he's not camping out there with you for five and 10 and 15 years until you decide to put up the pornographic addiction and get some victory. Jesus will come to you in your filth. He will come to you just like he came to that prodigal son in the middle of that pig pen when the Bible says he came to himself and he said, I gotta get out of this pig pen. I've gotta go back to my father's house. Come on, God will come to you where you are, but he ain't gonna stay in that pig pen. He's gonna demand you come out and take a shower, put your robe on, get your ring back on, go back to the father and Embrace him and get back into fellowship with him. Come on, somebody. How many of y'all glad that he'll come to you? Amen. Hallelujah. Paul was writing this first letter to the church of Corinth, and in the sixth chapter, in the 11th, ninth verse, he says, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Somebody say, oh boy. Do not be deceived about this. Neither the fornicators, that's the people who have sex before marriage, nor the idolaters, this is the people who have other gods in their life before the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor adulterers, these are people who can't be faithful to the marriage covenant and they can't be faithful to one woman and one man and they, they sleep around. Nor homosexuals, no explanation needed. Nor sodomites, this is affection, physical affection with uh, unnatural physical affection. Um, thieves, these are people who steal or covetousness. You're jealous of what other people have. Drunkards, revelers, people who cause and stir up trouble. Extortioners, people who take advantage of other people. So read it. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomite, nor thieves, nor covetous, or jealous, or drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you read that and you get depressed. And then Paul reads, Paul writes to the 
next part of the verse, he goes, and such were some of you. My God, and such were some of me. One time I was covetous. One time I was a reviler. One time I was lost without God. I may not check off everything on that list, but I was a sinner in need of a savior. But the Bible says, and such were some of you. Come on, Caleb. Such were some of you. You were a drunkard. I'm not calling you out, brother, but I am a little bit. You were a drunkard. Some of y'all have had a life, uh, maybe a, a purity that you didn't want to have. and Maybe you spent some time drunk in a, in a party or time or two. And such were some of you. But that next part of that verse makes me so happy because it says, but you were washed. <laughs> but you were washed. <laughs> but you were washed. Come on. Here you were washed. The blood of Jesus Christ. Come on. How can the, how can the crimson blood of Jesus Christ make my black soul and wash it and make it white as snow? That makes no sense. But that's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, friend. That is called redemption. That is called forgiveness. That is called recompense for our reward. That's called Jesus said he'll pay it. That's what that means. Redemption is Jesus paid it for you. Come on, the wages of our sin is death. I even got to Yerachladon. Jesus, help me. He said the wages of our sin is death. Right, We were due to be separated from God as a result of our sin. But Jesus Christ came and he said, listen, I'll buy it back. I'll pay that bill. We were sold, the Bible says, sold as slaves to sin because of what Adam and Eve did in that garden. We were sold to slavery. But Jesus Christ showed up with the checkbook of heaven after making a deposit that would never run dry. With the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he wrote a check and paid a bill that I would never be able to pay. He wrote a check and brought me out of a debt that I would never be able to climb out. And one day, soon and very soon, because of that check that he wrote, I'm going to meet my Savior in the air and not be separated from him, but I'm going to receive the recompense of my reward. Amen. But once you make up your mind to follow Jesus, to follow the will of God, that's what Paul did. Paul made up his mind to follow Jesus. He made up his mind like these precious young ladies did last week to follow Jesus. Clay, Cole, sorry, one of you, twins, I mean, give, give me an hour. Cole made up his mind last week, oh God. He made up his mind last week that he was going to follow hard after Jesus brought his fiance this week, fiance Brittany, right, and brought her this week. And, and, and the, these are four young people who made a choice that they're going to follow after Jesus. But let me help you all real quick. Just listen to an older man real quick. If you think you're going to be tiptoeing through the tulips and all of a sudden things are just going to be easy and you're just going to forget about the sin and you're going to forget about the lust and you're going to forget about the passions of all the things that you want to do. I hate to tell you, that's not the way it works, but day by day, step by step, decision by decision, you'll become more like Jesus Christ. And by the way, the enemy's so mad at the decision you made. The devil in hell doesn't want you to go to heaven. He's going to do absolutely everything he can to abort the purpose and the plan of God. Paul had made up his mind that he was going to follow the will of God, just like you all have done. Just like everyone in this room, for the most part, I know most of you, you've all made up your mind that you're going to follow Christ, that you're going to do the will of God. You're going to abstain from things of this world. You're going to walk righteously and sanctified and upright before God. You've made up your mind to do the will of God, just like Paul had done. He had made up his mind that no matter what I have to face, what trouble, what trial, what tribulation, what persecution I may have to face, I am going to go and preach this gospel to Caesar because it was the command of God and you have decided and I have decided that I'm going to go forward. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to pray and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to evangelize and I'm going to do the will of God in my life. And the Bible says the enemy hated it. So he sent a storm. 
There are types of storms that we go through in our lives. Sometimes there's storms of correction or disobedience. How many of y'all know the story of Jonah in the Bible? Some of you do, some of you don't. So let me tell you, Jonah was a man in the Bible, a prophet of God. God told him, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. I want you to preach this gospel. And Jonah, instead of obeying God, he ran from God. He got in a boat and went the opposite direction of Nineveh. And God sent a great fish. You all, some of the stories coming back to you from Bible school. He sent a great fish and it swallowed up Jonah. But it swallowed up Jonah after Jonah, when he disobeyed God, God sent a storm of correction because Jonah was going in the wrong direction. So God sent a storm and they end up throwing Jonah out of the boat. The fish grabs him and spits him back up on the beach after he repents and says, finally, God, I will obey you. And he ends up going in the right direction. God sent a storm to change somebody's direction. Sometimes you go through trouble and trial and if you'd realize if you just obey the word of God, this trouble would stop. Come on, some of y'all feeling anxiety. You're feeling pain that you weren't, you weren't meant to feel. You're feeling trouble that you weren't meant to feel. If you would just decide in your life that you're gonna obey God and serve and honor him, you'll get through this storm because it's a storm of correction. But other storms, other storms are storms of opposition in our life. See, God told Paul, that, hey, Paul, you're gonna see Caesar you're going, to pre- you're going to preach the gospel to Caesar. You see, Satan despises the will of God. He despises the will, and he's going to send the storms of life to you to buffer, to resist, to push back. When you make up your mind that you're going to serve and honor God, there are things that you may never even think about. All of a sudden, you'll have a craving for it because the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, for the flesh craves a lust after the things that are contrary to God. Your flesh, given the opportunity, will do that which is contrary to the will of God and the enemy will send a storm to resist, excuse me, to buffer, to push back against you. But Paul, after his conversion on Damascus Road, made up his mind to do the will of God. Verse four says that as they embarked on their destiny, destination, the contrary winds, if you read it, verse 20, chapter 27, verse four in Acts, it says that contrary winds, winds arose. What's contrary mean? It means opposite direction. Come on, when you make up your mind that you're going to serve God in your life, you better believe the enemy's going to send a storm of headwinds to blow right in your face. Come on, when you're trying to serve God, you're trying to live sanctified, you're trying to give up the drinking and the smoking and the doping and the cussing and the cursing, and you're trying to do, and you're trying to do what's right by God. And listen, I'm, I'm being so sensitive right now because I know there's new believers under the sound of my voice. I don't want to give you a list of things that you don't do anymore. That's not what Christianity is. It's not, I don't check off a bunch of things that you no longer do. Christianity is more than that. God demands sanctification. He demands man's holiness. He wants us to abstain from the appearance of evil, but your walk with God is more about what God wants to do in your life versus what he wants to take. If you'll grab a hold of the grace and grab a hold of the mercy of God, those lusts and those passions for the things of the world and the way you used to live, it'll all of a sudden become a distant memory not too long in the future because you'll realize that you've got something to live for because he called you out of darkness and he brought you into the marvelous light. But the enemy, the Bible says, brought a storm to push back contrary winds, winds of opposition, that when you make up your mind to serve God, the enemy brings us, the storm was called Eurocladon. Comes from two words, Euro, which means east wind, and Clydon, which means a mountain of water or a wave. 
So this was a storm, a nor'easter. It was an east wind that blew so fiercely and so strong that it would have called waves that looked like liquid mountains on both sides. This was a killer storm. This was a fierce storm. This was a storm that was meant to destroy Apostle Paul. This was a storm that was meant to sink that boat. This was a storm that was meant to make sure that Paul never made it on his journey. This was a storm that was meant to abort the plan and the purpose and the will of God in Paul's life. And so the enemy brought that storm storm. This storm was so fierce, so powerful that they named it much like we do today, right? We named all of our storms and our tropical storms and our hurricanes. Y'all know that, right? We go through storm seasons and we named those storms. This storm had a name because it was that fierce. It was a killer storm. It was bent on utter destruction. This was no ordinary storm, but it was intent on destruction and chaos. In fact, this storm, the Bible says, lasted for 14 days. Can you imagine being on a boat out in the middle of the Mediterranean and for 14 days being tossed back and forth, left and right, looking out the side of the boat and seeing mountains of waters and waves bashing and clashing against you. And, and, and you're trying to do the will of God, but the enemy has got this storm in your life pushing you and resisting you. This storm was so fierce. It wants to, it wants to ensure that you never reach your destination. It wants to ensure that you never reach your destiny for God. This storm is sent by the enemy to make sure you never make it to heaven. Come on, this, this storm is sent by the enemy to make sure you'll never witness, to make sure you'll never evangelize, to make sure you never pray, that you sink, that you drown, or you otherwise fail on your way. This storm is sent for you to abandon ship and give up on your commitment to God because the Bible says in verse 30 that the sailors were seeking to escape this ship because they were in the middle of the storm. What do you and I do? when we're in the middle of the storm? What do you and I do when we're in the middle of your rock ladon? I wanna to talk to some young people who've made up their mind that they're gonna serve God, who've made up their mind that they're gonna honor the Lord with their language, they're gonna honor the Lord with their entertainment. They're gonna honor the Lord with what they do on Friday night and Saturday night, not just on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Come on, when you're at church, you're gonna make up your mind that you're gonna honor God when the church friends aren't around. You're gonna live for the Lord when nobody else is watching. You've got to made up. I wanna to talk to some young people who've made up their mind that if mom doesn't go, I'm gonna go. If daddy doesn't go, I'm gonna go. If friend doesn't go, I'm gonna serve God. I'll leave my friends behind. I'll go this thing alone, but I've made up my mind that I'm gonna follow the Lord Jesus Christ and the enemy sends the storm. Why? Because he knows what it means if you make your way to Caesar. He knows that, he'll, that Paul would have preached the gospel and people would see salvation. So the enemy sent the storm. So what do you do when you face the storm? What do you do when your rockladon comes to you in your life? Number one, everybody say number one. Understand God will find a way to get the glory no matter what storm you're going through. No matter what trouble you go through. No matter what trial you go through, God will find a way to get the glory. Because let me let you in on the rest of the story. They get shipwrecked. They end up floating on boards from the ship to the island of Malta. They're cold from being tossed out in the wind. They've been out in the wind and the rain for 14 days. They, they build a fire. They go to warm themselves on the fire. And just as Paul is warming his hands on the fire, the Bible says a viper, a venomous snake, jumps out of the fire, grabs a hold of Paul. And the people of the island says, oh, he's cursed. He's definitely gonna die. And Paul just looks at that thing and shakes it off into the fire and goes about his business. Never gets sick, never dies. Now all of a sudden these people are like, whoa, what's up with this dude? 
But he's not cursed, he's blessed. And so they thought he was a God. And Paul took the opportunity to not take the credit, but he gave God the glory. And so then they took him to the ruler of the island by the name of a man named Publius, because Publius was lying sick with a fever and dysentery, and he was about to die. And so Paul gets taken to Publius, and he prays for him. And guess what happens, Brendan? You're never going to believe it. He gets healed. He doesn't die. Publius gets healed, and all of a sudden, God starts getting glory on the island. Paul was never intended to go to Malta. He was trying to get to Caesar. He was trying to get to Rome, but the enemy sent a storm to make sure he got shipwrecked and never met his destination, and instead of Paul sitting on the beach and pouting and waiting for the next boat to pick up the prisoners, Paul went to praying. He went to witnessing. He went to evangelizing. By the time we get to the end of the story, they brought every sick person on the island of Malta. And guess what Paul did? He prayed for him. Guess what happened? God healed every one of them. Guess what happened? An entire island was converted to Christianity because what the enemy meant for evil. Come on, somebody. God will turn around for good. You think you're going through the storm? You think God abandoned you? But God will get the glory from your storm. If you'll just make up your mind, come hell or high water, I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Somebody say, God will get the glory from my storm. Number two, say number two. Nothing can stop the word of God over my life. Absolutely nothing will stop the word of God. In fact, if God said it, it's as good as done. Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 23, God says, have I not spoken it? Will it not also come to pass? I'm telling you, if God said it, that thing is a done deal. There's nothing you can do to change it. There's nothing mama can do to change it. There's no, nothing a gossip can do to change it. There's nothing a hater can do to change it. In fact, the only reason that hater is casting shade on you is because you're shining so bright. There's no reason to cast shade on something that's, shy, that's not dull. It's because you're bright and you're shining for the Lord, and that's why the enemy is going to throw that on you. But amen, nothing can stop the word of God over my life. God told Paul, you will preach this gospel. You will stand before Caesar. You will declare the word of God. I've got a work to do. And the enemy sent a storm to try to stop it. But I'm going to go ahead and, pull and spoil the entire story. By the time it's all said and done, Paul gets on another boat from the island of Malta, makes his way to the island of Phoenix, ultimately ends up to Italy. And guess who he stands in front of? You better believe it. He stands in front of Caesar, Augustus himself. And he begins to preach and declare the word of God. He writes more letters to the church. And God has his way done. Somebody say nothing can stop the word of God in my life. Number three, and I'm going to shut up. Verse 31. Here's what Paul said. When you're going through the storms of life, here's what Paul said. Men, sailors, listen, stay on the boat. These men were scared to death. They were about to jump off the boat. They were out to abandon ship when they were in the middle of the storm. And Paul said, no, 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 don't do it. Whatever you do, the Lord told me, as long as you stay on the boat, not one of you will perish. That when the enemy sends you through the storm and when you're going through the trouble, when you're going through the trial, friend of God, do not abandon ship. Don't give up in the middle of your trouble. Don't give up in the middle of your trial. Don't give up in the middle of your storm, but stay on the boat. Keep on praying. Keep on reading. Keep on evangelizing. Keep on witnessing. Keep on keeping on for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. That's all. I got to wrap this up. Let's all stand tonight. The enemy wants you to abandon ship in the middle of your trouble, in the middle of your trial. But the word of God is coming to you tonight, saying, stay on the boat. Keep on coming to church. Keep on praying. Keep on going to small group. 
Keep on getting your Bible studies together. Keep on evangelizing. Keep on witnessing. Keep on keeping on for Jesus. Whatever you do, young man, whatever you do, young woman, don't let the condemnation of the enemy convince you to abandon ship and jump in the middle of the trouble and trial because God's got a destiny for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. God's got something he wants you to do. God's got something he wants this generation to do. It's powerful. It's incredible. It's magnificent. It's wonderful, but the enemy is going to buffer and push all along the way to try to abort the plan of God. But how many of y'all have made up your mind tonight? that you're staying in the boat. Amen. That I'm going to go on with Jesus. I'm staying in the boat because I'm going to end up where I need to go and God will get the glory out of my story. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym and remember, you can have as much of God as you want.